The countdown is on to fight time. This is Big Fight Weekend. Now, here is your host, TJ Reeves. Well, welcome back in, and we are here for the month of August on the Big Fight Weekend preview. Good to be back. Uh, good to be back with our insider on Good Fight Weekend and Fight Freaks Unite, the Substack, and much more. Dan Rayfield is back aboard here with me. Uh, we do not have championship fights, but we have some intriguing action. Fort Worth, Texas, Belfast, Northern Ireland that we're ready to preview and some news of the week as well. How you feeling? I'm good. Ready to go, baby. I think uh, we've got a lot of ground to cover here. Reminder, however you found us, social media link, whether you found us through the Big Fight Weekend website, Dan, Substack, whatever, make sure you're following or subscribing on this feed. And let me say this, things, business is starting to pick up. Things picking up here as we get ready for the heavyweight title showdown with Alexander Usyk and Anthony Joshua, eventually headed to September, Canelo Triple G. There are more and more of you finding us. Thousands and thousands and thousands of you that are finding us, thank you for doing so. Continue to help us, promote us, rate us, review us on Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star review. Tell uh, all the public that Dan Rayfield is the most intelligent, insightful human being on a boxing podcast you could ever find, and we appreciate that. Uh, if you continue to do that. I'm not saying that it's a lie. I'm saying tell the public the truth, which is I think you're the most insightful guy. Who else am I doing a podcast with? I'm doing it with Rayfield. <laughs> so uh, they, if they rate us and they review us on Apple podcast, uh, we've got another giveaway coming in August. And that that uh, also prompts me to say congratulations. We have drawn a winner and I'm going to inform uh, said winner. Um, I believe it's Edry. Edry Arietta has won. Edry is a big-time boxing fan. He rated and reviewed us. He sent us a screenshot, and we drew him at random out of dozens and dozens of people that could have won the Devin Haney-George Cambosis fight poster from their first fight in Australia. Edry, the poster is coming to you. We're going to get your information. We're going to get the poster to you out of the Rayfield Museum collection. You're going to get a Cambosis Haney 1 poster, and we've got to clarify because there's now going to be a Cambosis Haney 2 fight poster. This is fight one where Haney won the undisputed lightweight title. We'll get that to our winner. He's going to be the latest one. Uh, we had a previous winner that won the Mike Tyson Evander Holyfield hat. Yes, we're bribing you on the Big Fight Weekend podcast, but uh, it's well worth it, and thank you to Edry Arietta. Just that simple. Go and rate us and review us. You go into the contest at random, and we draw out a winner who's been rating or reviewing us since uh, since June when we were doing this. So congrats to him. Very good on that. All right, let's get to it. And I've been I've been anxious to talk to you about this and find out if there's an update and chop it up. You wrote earlier in the week on the site that Don King is being sued by British WBA regular heavyweight champion Daniel Dubois for Dubois' victory in Miami back in June over Trevor Bryan because Dubois says he has not been paid or at least been paid in full. So you wrote that. There's been response and reaction. Give us the latest, Dan, on this. The latest, uh, essentially, is that Don King denies that it's true. He says in, in his own way of saying it, well, I believe a triple negative. I've never not paid I've never not paid. I forget how he phrased it, but he's basically said, I paid everybody I've ever contracted. I'm doing it a lot more cleanly than Don did in his statement. Uh, but basically what they allege is that Trevor Bryan and, and, and uh, Daniel Dubois had the fight, like you mentioned in June, Dubois won the title by a fourth round knockout. And when the fight was over, he didn't get paid. And that the commission was made aware of it. The state of Florida has been made aware of it. They're investigating the situation. And 
they don't, you know, people are like, well, why didn't Frank Warren, who's Dubois' promoter, you know, have everything done in the contract, blah, blah, blah. And what people don't understand is that this was not a normal deal in the sense where each promoter works it out with each other and they have escrow accounts and different, different things that they're responsible for. This was Don King winning a purse bid, which gives him 100% authority over the event. So the contract is not between Don King Productions and Frank Warren, who then provided the services of Daniel Dubois, a, a provision of services agreement, which often happens in boxing matches, nor was Frank Warren the co-promoter or the in-association promoter. This was Don King, because of a purse bid, contracting directly with the fighter. So it's a, it's a bout agreement between Don King Productions and Daniel Dubois. So Dubois didn't get paid, so he sued King. And Frank Warren certainly is an interested party but is not involved in the litigation. And no one's saying that Frank didn't pay the guy or anything like that. And so he's asking for his money. Now the question is how much? So Don won the purse bid for like a million four, or I'm sorry, take that back. He won the purse bid for over a million. Dubois was due in excess of a million four, but then there's a lot of deductions. There's the deductions for the uh, IRS, which is in normal, if you're an American fighter fighting in the States, you would just get your money and it's on you to pay the government. If you're a, a fighter from another country, it's on the promoter to withhold because they don't want the IRS. It is for that boxer to go back to his home country and, and stiff the IRS. Of course. So there's an automatic 30% withholding from any purse like that. So right off that million four and change, right off the bat, there's uh, 30% is supposed to be withheld and paid to the IRS. There's also uh, tens of thousands of dollars in sanctioning fees to the WBA for the privilege of fighting for that crappy second tier title. So they took <laughs> care of, you know, we don't know if that's been taken care of. There's a $1,200 payment. That is uh, the license that, that Daniel Dubois manager has to have Martin Bowers from the WBA. And there's different deductions that go into it. So he's not asking for the full million four. He's saying, I want to know it's either $938,000 or as low as, 463,000, depending on what you've paid, because also part of the deal was that Don King uh, was selling the British television rights to Frank Warren slash Daniel Dubois. So mm -hmm. it could be televised on uh, BT sport in the UK. Those rights, according to the lawsuit were 475,000. So they're not asking for that. That's money that they were getting for the rights. So it's a matter of, did he pay the taxes? Did he pay the WBA? In any event, Dubois says he didn't get his money. They sued uh, in uh, Broward County Circuit Court. Broward County is where uh, King yep. is located, uh, Don King Productions. In, well, not in Miami. It's in actually in a place called Deerfield Beach. Deerfield Beach, uh, the suburb. All right. Matter of fact, Don King's Miami office is building. Dade. I should clarify. I live in the state. Miami is Dade. Fort Lauderdale is Broward and Deerfield Beach is Broward. So keep going. Right. Where Don King's office building is located is like right across the street across the I-95 highway from a retirement community uh, called Century Village, where my grandparents lived before they passed. So there you go. Uh, you couldn't, I couldn't go to visit my grandparents when they were still alive without seeing the gargantuan mega monstrous American flag that hangs over Don King's office building that you see from miles away on the I-95. Uh, in any event, uh, that's where it stands. There's a litigation. Okay, so King clarify, denies it. clarify, because you gave us a lot there. The first thing is that Daniel Dubois is saying he didn't get anything, didn't get any money, or didn't get all of his money. Qualify, uh, clarify that part of it. Is he My saying I've gotten is he's nothing? Other than the 475 that would have, so I guess, been split between him and Frank in some form or fashion for the rights to the British broadcast, 
that he hasn't gotten anything. Hasn't gotten anything. All right. And then no. again, clarify <laughs> once more that so what, let me, I, let me, what I understood you to write is Warren said you can deduct that from the purse and it's the same thing as me paying you $475 and then you paying $475 back right. to Dubois. Do I have that right? Keep going. I believe you have that right. The one thing that I should clarify that King says is that King his lawyer and Frank Warren's lawyer who wrote me a letter about this saying that it was inaccurate. But again, it's not my problem. It's what the lawyer said, which is Don's lawyer. Somebody who I have known for many years, Tony Gonzalez. Tony says that according to that certain money would not be paid towards Dubois, even though he's the contracted party, not Frank Warren, because somehow some way from it, something that was years ago that Frank Warren supposedly owes Don King money, which Frank denies. <laughs> and I don't see why that would have anything to do with this case, exactly. whether it's true or not true. But be that as it may, they did. They decided to deduct another three hundred and something thousand dollars. And so what Don King's lawyer does say is that there is a escrow account that contains something like one hundred and sixty three thousand dollars that they're waiting for Frank Warren to provide the wiring instructions so they can get that money that will again go to I Dubois. have another question. So you mentioned this and a lot of people have responded with this. Why would Don King or any other promoter in this situation not be required to put all of the money in escrow to prove that he has it and prove that he can pay the fighters? Clarify that also in the discussion. Well, most most uh, boxing events you're not you're not required to put anything in escrow. The 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 other promoter or the other party could ask for that. But they're not, and that and that sometimes can become a sticking point in a negotiation. To be quite honest, unfortunately, in the case of a purse bid, it's not re, it's not a requirement. So that's the reason. Now, could Frank Warren, on on behalf of Daniel Dubois, uh, asked for uh, Don to do that? Yes, but that doesn't mean that it would have been done, and it it wasn't something that they could force because it wasn't necessarily part of uh, that purse bid basics. I do think that because Frank and Don do go back a number of years, they've had a lot of good business together, that they're, they're look, in any walk of life, it doesn't matter if it's a boxing deal or it's you and me doing this podcast or it's, you know, you and, and somebody you do, uh, you hire somebody to, you know, to fix your driveway, whatever it is. There has got to be some element of trust in, in a business transaction. And, and that, unfortunately, uh, the two sides see differently on this. I mean, to me, though, and, and I say this, this is not just about what happened or what apparently has been going on in this situation. In any boxing event, the single, and I've said this before, I said this related to the Triller situation that goes back to the uh, par, par problems that they had with, with non-payment of the Kovalev, uh, Tervel Pulev card from a few months ago. The single worst thing that a person can do in the boxing business is to have men and women go into the boxing ring and risk their lives and come out of that and not pay them what they're owed. Mm -hmm. It's disgusting. So again, Awful. I don't know that I don't know what actually happened in this case. I'm not Don King's accountant. I am not Daniel Dubois lawyer or manager or whatever, but I, I don't think that somebody would go to the effort to file a lawsuit in another country uh, if there was not some kind of merit to it. Now, how much he owes, that's, I guess, for okay. the court to decide, but we'll see. All right. So, and, and with the full understanding that because of the weight you carry figuratively, there will be people that hear this. I'm going to give you some opinion here on this, but it's also based in fact. You can sure. Google all of the problems Don King had through the 80s with fighters suing him, claiming they're not being paid. You can also look at the very famous falling out finally with Mike Tyson, where Mike Tyson 
uh, suddenly said, I am owed tens of millions of dollars that have been withheld here that Don King has, has basically been withholding from me. It's, it's wrong. He sued him. So uh, to say that this was a surprise, this was not a surprise. I was saying on the front end, I didn't know that this event would even come off because I didn't know that Don King could come up with the money or how he would come up with the money or what would happen. I'm not surprised to see this just knowing the previous history. So that's my opinion, my take on that. All right, so now to the next stage. Where do you think this stands and how long does it take to resolve if, as you say, Dubois got nothing for winning that fight? How soon can he resolve getting something? Do you think they're working behind the scenes? Speculate here on some kind of price. You'd have to, listen, you'd have to think that. I mean, I, I find it hard to believe that everybody involved is going to spend a lot of time and money on lawyers and, and legal fees and all that stuff when, to me, this is not, you're not going to need a forensic account to figure this out. This is pretty straightforward. They know what the number was on the purse bit. So the first thing they have to get proof of, did they pay the IRS? They have to get proof. Did they pay the WBA? They have to get proof. Did they pay the very small amount of, for the manager fee? It's $1,200, whatever. These are not hard things to actually right. prove. And then obviously they'll see if, uh, if, if the money was, uh, they're giving them a credit, I guess, for the British TV rights. And now it's a matter of, whatever the supposed issue is between Frank and Don that goes back, you know, 10 or 20 years and figure out how that gets worked out, but they'll figure this out. And by the way, that is one of the motives. I know enough about this of why you sue someone, because then you're entitled to discovery. You're entitled to find out who did they pay, what, where, and you have to present that as the other side, you have to present that to Dubois side and present that to the Well, I don't listen, TJ. I mean, I've covered a bazillion fights where it's a foreign national fighting on an American mm-hmm. card. It usually doesn't take discovery or lawsuit to get a, a receipt or some kind of official confirmation. It that does your, when, so, apparently when somebody says, the IRS. right. Well, apparently it does when somebody says you're owing me between what is it? 400 grand and 900 grand. And I've been paid nothing. It takes something. And, I, and apparently this will kickstart it and we'll find out what happens. So as it stands, as we release the podcast right now, the best we understand it, Dubois side has sued. King's side has said, we owe you nothing. And so the back no, 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 no. Time out, is going on or whatever. King's side says we have a hundred and I believe this is a number. We have 163,000 for you sitting in an escrow account. And we're waiting for your people to give us the wiring instructions. Okay. And the, the Dubois people claim that the 163 is all well and good, but it doesn't come close to what you actually owe us. Okay. So that's just to be clear, that's the clarification on where we stand and how it gets resolved. And we get to real boxing. And now we can get to real boxing and the rest of that, but that got a lot of attention for this week. And you're right. It's the second time you've written about this for big fight weekend on the website. And we've talked about it on the podcast in the course of the last two or three months, the triller situation, as far as we know, that's still not resolved, Right. As far as we know, those guys are still not paid, even though Triller's claiming that they paid them. So, Well, Triller can claim whatever they want, but Triller is lying. But that's besides the point. Okay. So those two things, Dan, will remain vigilant on, and we'll see what happens as he broke that story earlier this week. All right. uh, Fight news in the ring. Since last we talked on the recap podcast, there's been a switch now for the WBC 140-pound vacant title fight. Jose Ramirez was to fight Jose Zapata. Jose Ramirez, uh, we, we hear new ones all the time. Jose Ramirez now apparently not available because, oh, by the way, I'm getting married. And it, it, the, the time frame that you want to have the fight is the time where I'm getting married. So they can't work that out. So uh, Regis Progre of the U.S., the former WBA uh, junior welterweight champion, is now next in line. Dan, pick it up from there because he now 
gets the lottery ticket to get back in a title fight here. Right. So on the eve of what was supposed to be a purse bid for Zapata versus Ramirez, that was supposed to, I believe, take place on Monday, uh, you know, a WBC purse bid on Monday. The night before that, on Sunday night, uh, the Ramirez team notified the WBC that he was withdrawing from his position because it did not fit into the time frame. He's getting married in October to his longtime girlfriend. They have children together. And, and uh, you know, I can't blame him. You don't want to go through training camp while you're planning a wedding. You want to enjoy uh, that situation and, and everything. So, okay, that's cool. Now, I do kind of call into question, like, he knew he was getting married a few months ago. So why, why drag it out to the day before the purse bid? When you drop out, it's not like suddenly the wedding was being planned for October. Strange. So I, I, I feel like he should have just dropped out back then, but that's besides the point. Um, in any event, the next available person in the WBC ratings was Regis Progress, who was, if you if you've been following Regis ever since uh, Josh Taylor uh, was stripped slash vacated the WBA and WBC titles after uh, his uh, controversial win over Jack Catterall. He wants to go for the rematch with Catterell. And meanwhile, you got the WBA and the WBC both ordering mandatories, which he wouldn't be able to make both at the same time anyway. So one of those belts was going to have to go. Uh, and but, but Regis was sitting there saying, well, we got two vacant titles, four boxers for those positions. And he was pissed off that he wasn't in one of those fights. He sat, I actually went back and I watched the video that he had posted. He sat in his car and he was, you know, kind of uh, ranting about it a little bit about how pissed he was that he wasn't one of those participants. Now, you fast forward a month later, and the WBA, they're doing their own thing at the WBC with Ramirez out. Now Regis has got the opportunity to fight Zapata. And look, we saw Ramirez versus Zapata when they fought when Ramirez was still the WBC champion. And it was a really close fight. A lot of people thought that Zapata won. Frankly, it wasn't like that great of a fight. Um, so I'm down for the new fight. Progress and Zapata should be a hell of a matchup. Zapata has been in some good fights. He was in the 2020 fight of the year, that wild fight with Ivan Baranchik, where they scored about yep. you know eight different knockdowns, each guy down four times, knockdowns in every single round. And uh, Regis is always makes uh, for for entertaining, crowd pleasing kinds of fights. He's super excited to be in it. Uh, I can't imagine Zapata wouldn't take this fight. You know, it's no different for him. He's whether you're fighting Progre or you're fighting Ramirez, you're gonna with a tough opponent. That's a chance for both to fight for a title. And uh, you know, it's a good matchup. I mean, obviously they got to make a deal. There, if they, they can't, there'll be a purse bid uh, sometime at the end of August. But uh, you know, I'm hopeful that whether it's a purse bid or it's just a deal, we're gonna see another. You can just add this to the calendar of. Of, uh, of good fights that we can see on tap. Real for the quick, fall. realistically, November, is that realistic? That sounds about right. If the purse bid would be, in, you know, end of August, you know, it would probably be within within 60 days or so of that, I would guess. So, yeah, it's, I mean, obviously there's things that go into that. You have to find a date appropriate in terms of a, a venue. It's it's still not clear where would the broadcaster be. It depends on who has, uh, who's the end up, who ends up being the promoter or if they make a deal. Um, but the main thing is, if you're a boxing fan, read just program against Jose Zapata are two worthy contenders in a, in a good weight class. And for, for that title that, that Josh gave up the WBC and, uh, and the, you know, the winner of the fight between Regis and Zapata should have take place. Uh, my understanding is that Ramirez would be the next mandatory. He would not just kicking him out because he's getting married. He would be the next uh, mandatory for the WBC title. So it's not like he's losing his position. He's just sort of putting his opportunity uh, to the side for a little while. Fair enough. All right, a little later, we get into the fight previews. Uh, one more fight announcement came on Thursday as we released the podcast now for the weekend, and that is the heavyweights that were supposed to fight earlier in this summer, uh, Joe Joyce and Joseph Parker, Joyce the unbeaten Brit, uh, Parker, again, veteran heavyweight contender. They are now going to fight in September. It's back on for September. Dan, pick up on that. September 24th at the AO Arena in Manchester, England. 
just a great matchup. I mean, it's, uh, you know, the title fights, you know, we know who the champions are, the guys with the belts. Tyson Fury is the champion. He just fought a couple months ago. He's obviously taken a little time off before he figures it out. You got the rematch between Usyk and Joshua for the other three titles. So there's not title action besides that, that big fight come August 20th. But that doesn't mean the division should go dormant. There's still other quality guys in that weight class. And Joseph Parker and Joe Joyce are, I mean, universally regarded as certainly top 10 heavyweights, you know, top five, six, something like that. I mean, they're, they're the top heavyweights out there right now. Joe has been impressive. He's got a knockout victory against Dubois, who we've been talking about. Uh, he's got um, his, mo you know, he had a, a, a tune-up fight that was just in July where he just blew out uh, uh, Christian Hammer. He had been out for a year because of a wrist injury, but before that he had scored a knockout against uh, the very serviceable uh, fringe contender slash journeyman slash gatekeeper, Carlos Tackham, where he did a good job in that fight. So Joe's ready to take on the best guys in the weight class. He's an Olympic silver medalist, big, strong guy, good power, good chin, uh, not a lot of speed, <laughs> but he does everything else pretty well. Uh, and Parker, look, Parker's never backed away from a tough fight. The guy's 30 and two, his losses came back to back to Dillian White and Anthony Joshua in, in uh, somewhat competitive decision losses. You know, when he fought Joshua was to unify two of the world titles. Uh, and ever since then, he's got the two wins over Chisora. You know, he's, he's beaten some other guys along the way. It's just a good matchup. I mean, uh, should be a fun fight. And there's high stakes because the winner, uh, Joe's already been in a position to be the mandatory for the WBO, but this will be, again, the winner is going to get the next mandatory WBO title shot at the winner of the Usyk and Joshua rematch. So there's good stakes available. And it's a good matchup. They're two guys who want to fight each other. And it's it's uh, if it's if, you, if it's not for a championship, it's about as, you know, among the top contenders. It's a it's a pretty good fight. It's what, what do you want? What else do you want? That's what we want to see. We want to see the best guys fight each other. And Joe Parker and Joe Joyce are two of the best heavyweights in boxing. Um, whether you think it's a strong division or not, that's not the point of what there is right now in the heavyweight division. These are two of the best guys, and they're going to do it. They're going to fight each other. And good on Joe Joyce that he's staying active, like you mentioned, because on the timeline, this would be coming right after the Usyk-Joshua fight, where if you can't make an undisputed fight, maybe he's the guy to slide yep. in as the WBO number one uh, to the winner. Uh, we'll see. But I, I like the I like the activity. Stay active, taking the, a the risk. The other good thing about we'll this see. fight, by the way, is you know when they were when Frank Warren had he's the promoter for Joe Joyce. He had Frank, Frank Warren, obviously was also the co-promoter, you know, was the promoter of the Tyson Fury, Dylan White fight. Mm -hmm. So at the, at that fight uh, back in April during the undercard, he did like a photo op with Joe Joyce and Joe Parker and was talking about how he wants to match them in July. And ultimately Parker, who was a free agent at that time, remember he had done a bunch of fights with Eddie Hearn. His, he was no longer under contract. He was a free agent and he was shopping around. And I think Frank was looking to do something with him. And in, as it turned out, uh, Joe ended up signing with Boxer, which in England has a exclusive deal with Sky Sports, which is the rival of Frank Warren's broadcaster, which is BT Sports. So it's sort of like in America, if you're you know, back in the old HBO versus Showtime days, or maybe mm -hmm. now it's Showtime versus The Zone or, or Fox or whatever you want to say. Uh, but the point was, there was a lot of questions. Okay, so Joe just signed with the rival promoter on the rival uh, television platform. How are they going to do this fight? Whatever happened, Joe had the Joseph Joe Joyce had to come, you know, the return fight against Hammer, and somehow in between then and, and uh, when that fight happened, and up until when they just announced it today, you know, a couple of days ago, when we all knew the press conference was going to be taking place, they were able to work out a deal between Frank Warren and Ben Shalom, who's the CEO of Boxer, 
to get this deal done where it won't be on Sky Sports, but it'll be on BT as a pay-per-view. And, and I'll drop some knowledge here, which I wrote in my story. Uh, for those listening to us in the United States, the good news is, is it's not done. They didn't announce it. But I am told by somebody that knows exactly what's happening that the contracts are being finalized where this fight will be available in the United States live on ESPN+. Plus. So that doesn't come at a pay-per-view cost like it will in, in, uh, in the United Kingdom for the boxing fans over there. But here in America, you can watch it just as part of your normal subscription on the on espn plus and look, so jo- joyce, joyce could be a guy in the mix for a title shot joyce could be a name with deontay wilder we keep saying that name we're seeing photos of wilder on social media that he's back I'm training out. again i can i can i can say with i can say with pretty good authority that when deontay comes back which will be sometime in the fall probably in october uh he will not be fighting joe joyce it won't be joe joyce right now but maybe down the road could happen. Oh, down the road. Not yeah, saying, down the road, maybe. Not saying it will. By the way, there's a lot being made on social media about how much thinner Wilder looked and how skinny his legs looked. His his legs are skinny anyway. But in that photo with Michael Hunter, uh, do you have any reaction to that? Because the internet's going crazy boxing wise. Overseeing. I've known that Deont- I, I, the first time I met Deontay Wilder was a couple of days before his professional debut that I covered in Nashville, Tennessee, and I. Met him and I met his trainer at the, who I already had known, Mark Breland at the time. Mm-hmm. And after our meeting in the hotel, uh, I was introduced by his manager, Shelly Finkel. And when Deontay and Mark walked away, I had a conversation with Shelly in the hotel. And, uh, you know, that was nice to meet him. Shelly is so skinny. He's so skinny. How's he going to be heavyweight champ? His legs look like little tiny twigs. Mm-hmm. And at that time, this is back, you know, 12 years ago, whatever right. it was. They were talking about putting Deontay in a weight program then and uh, bulking him up. You know, they wanted to get him up to like 240. He's never been that heavy as a professional. Even when he fought Tyson Fury in the third fight, which I believe was the heaviest of his career, he still has the skinny little legs. That's just his body type. He's never yeah. going to be a guy that has that that thick base, that, that big rear end and those big legs. He's always going to be on those twiggy kind of legs. And that's just who he is. So when I saw that picture, I know exactly what you're talking about. To me, I didn't even register with me because that's just the Deontay Wilder that I have seen and known for all these years. So, but did he not I, you look know, aside from the legs? He looked thinner. He looked like well, just he, on a glance, he, he looked yeah, thinner yeah. than two twenty five, like before when he fought Fury. For whatever he certainly has taken some weight off since the Tyson Fury third fight, which again was the heaviest he'd ever been, which was by design because Tyson Fury had come in pretty heavy for the second fight, and then was what two seventy or so for the third fight. So. That was by design to have a little added bulk. The natural Deontay Wilder is a very tall man, but not a heavy man. He's, you know, 200 plus pounds is always a heavyweight. But, you know, he could, if, if you just had him work out and just go around like a normal person, he'd probably walk around, you know, in the 210 to 220. Not a big dude. I mean, heavy wise based on his height. So to me, I wasn't, it didn't shock me. And I would suspect, by the way, as you go through the training camp, you know, and, and you're, and you're going through the, the whole process, he may put on a little bit of weight with the, if you're doing some weight lifting and certainly the way that they're constructing your diet in the, in the context of your camp. So, you know, I don't, he's only been in camp three days, you know, as we tape this, he, he went back into camp this week. He's training in Las Vegas just a little bit right now to get in some conditioning. And uh, it's been like literally a few days. Give so, us a, give us a breadcrumb. Do you believe a fight announcement is coming soon on when that would be? What do we know? What do we speculate? I mean, my understanding is that, again, it's not nothing is done, that there's still a lot of conversations taking place on the particulars between Shelly Finkel and Al Heyman, who both are the managers of, of Deontay Wilder. And so the questions are who he will fight, where he will fight. Obviously, the you know, I've heard rumors that he will fight in Barclays Center in Brooklyn, but they I know they're going to also look to possibly have him fight 
in Alabama. It could be some other place. My perspective on Deontay Wilder's future is that he's the type of name that they could put him in New York. They could put him in Alabama. They could put him in Los Angeles. They could put him in Vegas. They could put him in Atlantic City. They could put him in a lot of different places and he's going to draw a crowd because he has to some degree crossed over into the mainstream. So I think Barclays and Alabama are the leading places, but that doesn't mean they're going to be a done deal. As far as who he'll fight, again, nothing is done. I am told the leading candidate is Robert Hellenius, which makes sense. He's with, uh, he's with PBC. He's coming off back-to-back knockouts against Adam Konaki, who, by the way, before the first knockout, as we've discussed, Konaski was supposed to be you know, penciled in mm-hmm. as a future title challenger against Deontay. And then, of course, Adam lost and Deontay lost, and there went that. But Hellenius is at least can look Deontay Wilder in the eye. He, he's a very tall guy also. Similar size in terms of the the height. That ain't an easy um, comeback fight. That's not a knockover. That's not no. An easy I fight. agree with that. Not easy. Listen, when I talk after uh, after the Deontay Wilder Tyson Fury third fight, this is going back several months ago. But I, I had a, a, a lengthy conversation uh, with um, Malik Scott, who was Deontay's trainer, and they were discussing about this. Is back when Deontay was thinking there might be he might be coming back in the early part of this year which I thought was kind of wishful thinking. I figured he would take a little bit of a longer layoff. Remember the fight was at the, what the, in sometime in October of mm-hmm. last fall that for him to come back like this spring, like in that April, May seem a little quick based on how tough that fight was. Plus how much money the guy made. He didn't, was no necessary thing for him to get right back in the ring. But the point was when I spoke to Malik uh, at that, t- in that time frame, the point was made to me that they don't want to just come back and fight a knockover guy, a nobody. You know, then they could have done that just to get the confidence up. He could have been matched with some nobody and smoked mountain one or two rounds and, you know, and went about his business. Uh, but, but the opinion of their, of that part of their team was we don't want him to just fight a stiff. We want him in with a real guy, a guy we think he's going to beat, obviously. And frankly, Deontay Wilder would probably beat most heavyweights, whoever you match him with, maybe not Tyson Fury, but many of the top heavyweights, but Robert Hellenius, if you're going to come back and you want to be paid a lot of money and you want to get your stuff back together and you want to put yourself back in position to fight for the title again. Uh, Robert Hellenius certainly, especially coming off those two victories against Adam Konaski, it seems like a very reasonable, very marketable kind of fight. All right. We'll see what happens with the bronze bomber, who I happen to like, who we've interviewed some on this podcast before. I still doubt, I don't know that he ever gets back on the biggest stage. I don't know because he, he's financially set. We'll see. We'll see. And maybe this will be well, the first step. When you say we'll the biggest out. stage, I mean... I have no doubt he'll be back on the biggest stage, whether he'll become a heavyweight champion again, that's a different story. But his fights are going to be at a high level of public interest. All right, we'll see. We'll see, and hopefully we get one coming up. We do know we have fights coming up this weekend, again, both in Fort Worth, Texas, with Virgil Ortiz headlining for Golden Boy, and Mick Conlon in against a veteran in a showdown in Ireland as well this weekend. We'll discuss those as we continue. We're back on Big Fight Weekend. Now, here's your host, TJ Reeves. Back in once more. Love the inside of Dan Rayfield with me. And again, we're here in the preview mode, usually out Friday morning. Good for the weekend. Good shelf life for the Saturday night fight card. Actually, of course, we've got Saturday afternoon, U.S. time, Saturday night in the U.K. for the Michael Conlon fight. But we usually give you at least a day of, uh, of preview time here to find us on the Big Fight Weekend Preview. You want to be on this feed because we come off the weekend with the Fight Freaks Unite recap, which uh, we always love 
uh, the insight that Dan has on what he saw with the fights. Of course, Fight Freaks Unite last week, we spent so much time on that Jake Paul, Haseen Rahman cancellation of their fight. So again, bookends, preview going into the weekend, recap coming off the weekend. Paul Rahman was supposed to happen this weekend, not happening at all, canceled off. Who knows when we'll see Jake Paul again. One quick aside before we get into the fights this week. This was not planned. We did not go over this. But they had the uh, WWE wrestling pay-per-view last Saturday night uh, known as SummerSlam in Nashville, Tennessee. And you're a wrestling guy. I am a wrestling guy. Did you see any of the highlights of Logan Paul with all the acrobatic aerial stuff wrestling that brother, that was more impressive than anything he thought he did against Floyd Mayweather in the exhibition. I did see match. that. That that to me, he can sell that more than trying to hold on to a boxing exhibition career or whatever. He was selling it as a pro wrestler. Backflip off the top rope onto the Miz, the pro wrestler on the pay-per-view, jumping off the top rope onto a table like Superfly Snooker. Now I'm selling it. Now I'm getting now I'm speaking your language, Rayfield. By the way, Superfly Snooker, when I was a kid, yeah. that was my guy. That was my <laughs> so, guy. So your man, Logan Paul, made like Superfly, jumping a, a, literally again off a top turn. <laughs> I don't know if Logan Paul's my guy. But, but I mean, that was it a Superfly Snooker-esque move. I, I just got to say, that was more athletic and appealing. He's got some wrestling chops doing that. For a guy that's not a, uh, been schooled in wrestling for years, like you have yeah. to train for that. That was very, very impressive, the kind of moves he was able to make and do those big spots and jump off the top and, and all that kind of stuff. That's, you I mean, get, look, you can get seriously hurt. There's no, whatever you think about Jake Paul as a boxer, about Logan Paul as a boxer, there's no doubt these guys are in shape and very athletic and somewhat fearless. I mean, it's a good combination if you want to, you know, be a young athlete. Now, maybe had they started boxing at an earlier age, it would have been a different story in terms of their professional success or done MMA or even wrestling for that matter. But considering their limited exposure in those endeavors, I think they've done pretty darn well for themselves. But Logan Paul in particular, what he did in those SummerSlam mm. uh, in that SummerSlam match, what I saw of it was more impressive than what either one of them has done as a boxer. <laughs> just, okay. just in terms of well, yeah. the sheer athleticism, although yes. you can't really take away from that devastating knockout that Jake had in the rematch against Tyron Woodley with Agreed. one punch. That's Agreed. about as sick a knockout as you'll but, see. But still. That, by the way, and that's real. That's not, I'm not I, saying that that's correct. it doesn't take skill to do what Logan did, but the moves are choreographed that's in a correct. sense. But it was the knockout dangerous. of Jake Paul I mean, when I against saw Woodley him, is not. When I saw him do the back somersault onto the Miz, down onto the ground off the top rope and land on it, I mean, that is dangerous stuff. If you don't know what you're doing, you can seriously hurt yourself. Uh, injure yourself so anyway we're just pointing that out while we don't get any jake paul boxing action we did have the wrestling last week let's get to the fights that we do have for this weekend it is headlined by virgil ortiz's return to the ring off of the uh the blood flow disorder that he had that sidelined him for this fight that was supposed to happen earlier this year with england's michael mckinson fight back on dickie's arena fort worth texas uh golden boy promotions main event Ortiz heavily favored. He has all KOs in all of his professional fights. Dan Rayfield, lay it out for us. Is this another knockout waiting to happen here? What's your insight? I mean, you have to suspect that. He is 18-0 with 18 knockouts. It's a home game because the fight's taking place in Fort Worth. Virgil grew up in nearby Grand Prairie, Texas, you know, a Dallas area kid. So it's his his uh, hometown, same, same venue where he had um, 
has fought before when he fought Maurice Hooker, he fought there. He's had uh, several of his professional fights in uh, the Dallas region. So he's going to have the crowd on his side. Like you said, he's 18 and 0 with 18 knockouts. He's a big puncher. His opponent, Michael McKinson, is not a bad boxer by any means. He is a southpaw, uh, but he's 22 and 0, and he's got only two knockouts. So, as I asked Virgil when we did the and we played it on our podcast on yep. last week's show, when you see a guy that's 22 and 0 with only two knockouts, somewhere in the back of your mind, does it give you the the, for lack of a better word, the bravery? Let's say not that he's not brave. All these guys are brave. But to not really be so worried what's coming back, as long as you see the punch, that it's he can't really do any damage, and it gives you more um, of a plan to go in there and really just straight out attack, even more so than you might typically. He said, "Well, not necessarily. There's maybe different reasons why he's not getting knockouts. Maybe he's just not have that finishing mentality, but he's a good punch or whatever." But I suspect, having seen Michael McKinson, he's just not a he just does not have the snap on the shots, and some guys just are not blessed with the power, which is more of a natural thing than something you can train for. You can train to perfect your hook or to perfect your jab, that type of thing. You know, you can maybe do a few different types of drills to help you with your power, but by and large, it's either something you have or you don't. Michael McKinson just does not seem to have that kind of power. Virgil Ortiz is blessed with all kinds of power. He's shown it at 140 pounds. He's certainly been showing it in 147 pounds. Um, you know, knocking out the mean machine Kavalowskis in his last fight, a guy that had never been stopped before, even against Terrence Crawford. Um, you know, and so how do you not expect him to get a, uh, I take that back. Crawford did stop him in the ninth round, right. but it, he also scored a knockdown against Crawford uh, that they didn't call, but that's besides the point. This is not about Crawford and Kavalowskis. I'm just making the point that when Virgil Ortiz fought Kavalowskis, he scored a knockout that was around sooner than Terrence Crawford did in a very impressive performance. And I think he knocked um, him down, what, like four times, four or five times in that fight. I don't know the number of knockdowns, but he certainly stopped him. Yeah, I mean, and so Virgil, the point here is that Virgil has been stopping quality professional fighters. Say what you want about, about the meme machine. He's a quality fighter. Maurice Hooker is a former world champion, granted, in the smaller weight division, and he knocked him out. And he's been knocking out like a Brad Solomon who never been stopped before. And Samuel Vargas, you know, is a, maybe not a top contender, but a solid guy that's fought a lot of good opponents, you know, a, maybe slightly better than a journeyman, but that caliber of opponent. And Antonio Orozco had fought for the world title against Jose Ramirez and he knocked him out. Point is, one after another, he was the first guy ever to stop Mauricio Herrera, for example. So he's stopping competent quality fighters who have better resumes and have done a lot more in their careers than Michael McKinson has done. So I don't see how you can go into this fight not thinking it's going to be a Virgil Ortiz knockout. Frankly, the onus is going to be on McKinson to show that he can't get knocked out. And I don't see how he wins a decision against Virgil Ortiz either under the hell of that pressure that he's going to apply, the punching power that he possesses in his backyard. Exactly. So, you know, it would be a monumental upset if, if McKinson can somehow pull it off, even if he is undefeated. I give McKinson credit for this, though, TJ. He seems fearless. He signed the fight Virgil back in March, came to the United States from the UK, and he's willing to do it again. Because remember, when this fight, when the fight in March was canceled, they were trying to make Virgil Ortiz against David Evanessian, and a lot of stuff happened that didn't get done. Uh, so they went back to McKinson, and he had no qualms about signing up for this fight a second time. So he can't underestimate the guy's desire or the heart. Uh, I just think he doesn't have necessarily the physical um, talent to match what Virgil has, and we'll see another knockout by Virgil Ortiz. 
It is interesting, and we'll talk more on the BetUS show about how we play this, but, I mean, there's no value at all in taking mm-hmm. Ortiz straight up on the money line because he's minus 2,200. The knockout prop is minus 335 on the BetUS line, so that tells you the odds makers think this is going to be a knockout. They have a hard uh, – listen, the we'll Golden see. Boys, got a, they got a tough job from them. It's – I mentioned he's already – Virgil's already beaten some certain caliber-worthy guys in his career, whether it was Hooker or Kavalowskis or Orozco, or Solomon, or whatever. All solid, legitimate opponents, even Samuel Vargas. They're running out of, uh, I feel like they're almost in a position the way that top rank was for a long time with Terrence Crawford, where you have a tremendous talent. Crawford, pound-for-pound level guy, maybe one or two or three in the world. But they did not have anybody that they could match with. It wasn't until finally they were able to make a deal with PBC to do the Sean Porter fight, but they really had a legitimate quality top welterweight for him to fight. And Golden Boy is in a similar situation with Virgil. They have a tremendous talent, different situation than Crawford in the sense that Virgil's still on the upswing. He's not a champion. He's not totally established. But nobody really wants to fight the guy. And they don't have their own stable of welterweights to match him up with. And the way that Virgil Ortiz is going to get a big fight or a title fight, they're going to have to get him into a mandatory position and force the issue. And right now, the welterweight title picture is really uh, consolidated because Two guys have the belts. That's Errol Spence with three titles, Terrence Crawford with the other title, and a very good possibility that come the end of this year, they're going to be fighting each other. So guys with title aspirations in the welterweight division are going to be on ice for a little while because uh, we're going to see how this all plays out for the undisputed. So Virgil's just got to keep focused, and whether they give you a Michael McKinson kind of guy or they can find a better guy, just go in there and do your job. Um, For Virgil, he's coming back first fight in a year. You mentioned he had the blood disorder, so I know he's uh, feeling a little bit behind schedule because he missed basically a year where he probably would have had at least two other fights. Uh, so look, he's coming back after a year. He's in with a competent pro, but a guy he's probably going to out-muscle and outmatch, and, uh, you know, take care of business there and then move on to the next. All right. Fair enough. Um, you mentioned Hooker. Hooker, we also uh, make reference, Hooker lost to Jose Ramirez, who we were talking about earlier in the podcast, junior welterweight uh, unified title fight. Hooker also lost to Virgil Ortiz two fights ago, suffered an injured hand in that. Hooker's on the undercard fighting Blair Cobbs, who's an interesting kind of live wire promotional guy, but Cobbs lost the last fight he was in. Very even on the bet US line for that fight on the undercard. So that's another noteworthy fight. Give me 30 quick seconds on that before we move on. I mean, that's, that is a pretty good undercard fight because you don't know who's going to win more so than the main event. I have a lot more confidence that Cobbs versus Hooker is going to be more competitive than Ortiz versus uh, McKinson. So from that standpoint, you know, okay, I'm, I'm down for it. Uh, and it's kind of a must win. As I wrote in my notebook the other day, uh, it's a must win because you never want to lose two in a row. And they're both coming off knockout losses. As you mentioned, uh, Hooker is coming off the knockout loss against Ortiz. But, but, uh, but, but um, you know, the other guys coming off, uh, uh, Blair Cobbs is coming off the knockout loss to Rocha. Yep. So they both are kind of uh, in desperate need. A guy that loses two fights in a row at that level you know, you're definitely becoming also ran. And so it, it is a pivotal fight. The guy that wins, particularly if it's Blair Cobbs, if he somehow pulls it out and he gets the victory, it's not out of the realm of possibility that he could get a shot against Virgil Ortiz at some point. Because again, I said Golden Boy doesn't have any welterweights. But if you have now Blair Cobbs coming off of a good solid victory against Maurice Hooker, it's not out of the realm of possibility that he could land that kind of fight. So it's important. Hooker's got the hometown advantage, although that hasn't really helped him because they're both from Dallas, he and Ortiz. So he lost to Ortiz at home. When he lost to Jose Ramirez, he lost also in uh, Arlington, Texas at home. Um, so that didn't help him out. So, you know, Blair hasn't shown any fear of coming in there. And uh, 
you know, I suspect it'll be a pretty good fight. Those guys usually come to to throw down and uh, have some personality to them and some swa- some swagger to them. So I hope it turns out to be a good fight. All right, very well might be. Earlier in the day, uh, U.S. time, um, Michael Conlon will be fighting in Belfast, Northern Ireland. This is the former unbeaten featherweight who got knocked out in a title fight in his last fight. So he's back now in a comeback fight. Miguel Mariaga is the opponent out of Columbia, a veteran, a former world title challenger. Uh, Conlon heavily favored. The Bet U.S. line has him at minus 1,200. And uh, doesn't doesn't see Mariaga as much of a threat. Has him at plus six fifty. Is Mariaga maybe a little bit of a live dog as a veteran? You could make the argument this is the most experienced fighter that Conlon has fought, including Lee Wood. This is maybe the most uh, grizzled a veteran that he's fought. What are your thoughts on this main event in Ireland, where clearly Conlon is the fan favorite and the betting favorite? I mean, and that's for good reason. Uh, I'm actually looking forward to seeing this fight on ESPN Plus on Saturday. But Mariaga is the kind of guy now in his career where he poses enough danger where you don't think about it as it's like the, that he's got no shot to win. But he's usually the guy that uh, provides a nice test and a solid fight, but ultimately comes up short against the best guys. I mean, look at the losses he's had. Uh, Nicholas Walters in a title fight at featherweight. He's challenged for other titles. He fought Oscar Valdez in a featherweight title fight. He fought Lomachenko in a junior lightweight title fight. Uh, you know, he's fought a lot of good quality opponents, Joette Gonzalez, but he's lost all those fights I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. And so now Conlon gets him. It's an important fight for Michael because anybody that saw it will never forget it. That incredible fight he had with Lee Wood earlier in the year where he was winning the fight, Michael, and it was in the 12th round. And, you know, one of the wackier, crazier ending of fight that you'll see in a while where uh, Lee Wood was able to rally, come back, knock him, not just knock Michael Conlon out, but knock him clear out of the ring for the knockout in the last uh, dangerous, you know, scary situation. He knocked him be- between the second and the third strand of ropes. There were four strands of ropes and he literally landed in his lap of his father tough. in his own corner. It was crazy. And the fight was, and by the way, it was in the last like minute and a half of the fight. There was like 90 something seconds left in the fight. If Conlon is able to just hang on, he's going to win a decision. Uh, so it was a remarkable comeback for Lee Wood and a super exciting fight. Certainly a fight of the year contender at this point in time still several months to go, but certainly on the top few of the fights of the best fights of this year. So he's looking to put that loss behind him. And for Mariaga, you know, it's an opportunity to fight another, another good opponent. Uh, like I said, he's lost to the best guys he's fought. And so of course, Conlon's going to be the favorite. It's in Belfast, you know, that's Michael Conlon's uh, hometown and uh, they're bringing uh, Mariaga in. But one thing about Miguel Mariaga, he always gives the effort, whether he can hang with him or not uh, remains to be seen. He does have some pop in his punches. So uh, if, if Conlon is coming off a knockout to Lee Wood, who's not known as the devastating puncher, it's not out of the realm that a guy like Mariago, who seems to be blessed with more power than Wood, that a knockout, if he was going to win, uh, that probably would be the way he would do it. It's hard to see Mariaga outboxing Michael Conlon, um, that if he's going to get the victory, it would probably have to be by a knockout. But I expect it to be a pretty you know good fight, maybe a fast-paced kind of fight. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that. Again, as as I'll put it like this. To me, it'd be a much bigger upset if Michael McKinson were to beat Vic, uh, Virgil Ortiz than if Mariaga pulled the upset against Michael I agree Cullen. with that. Mariaga's a veteran. He's got 30 wins, and he's got knockouts. I agree with that and completely. He's fa- and again, he's faced good opponents. Again, mm-hmm. even if he hasn't beaten those opponents, he hasn't embarrassed himself against those opponents. You know what I mean? So, you know, he's competent. And in my opinion, for a guy coming off of a loss – so dramatic the way that Michael Conlon did in his most recent fight. 
this is a very legitimate, reputable comeback fight for him. And if he wins the fight against Mariaga, you know, he's back to a certain level. And uh, I don't, you know, given his name, his popularity, his record, uh, the kinds of opponents he's been willing to fight, I don't think there's going to be a lot of problems of lining Michael Collin up for some other sort of significant fight, whether it's, uh, you know, another title fight or even just against another good name. And by the way, ESPN and Top Rank have brought him to New York to fight around St. Patrick's Day weekend a couple of different times. He's got some star power here with the Irish uh, background, well, et cetera. I'm going to so, tell you about that for a second. Yeah, yeah. I was at Michael Conlon's professional debut at the Madison Square Garden Theater. Okay. Sold out. The atmosphere for that fight with about 5,000 people for uh, a kid that was making his professional debut out of the Olympics against a complete nobody. I can't even remember the opponent's name. Just a guy that was a body to be mm -hmm. in the ring was as electrifying as any fight that you could think of. Even in biggest Las Vegas fights I've been to, biggest New York fights, they had Conor McGregor, who was friendly with Michael Conlon. They're both from Ireland, obviously. Not that everybody in Ireland knows each other, but they were friendly with one another. Conor McGregor, at the height of his career, walked him into the ring. And then, of course, got into a shouting match with me at ringside afterwards. But that's a different story. Um, but the point was, that was an extraordinary night. Now, we were all there because it was the night before a big Triple G fight at the Garden. But right. the electricity in the Madison Square Garden Theater that night for Michael Conlon was off the charts. That kid so that brings a lot of Irish fans and certain amount of swagger, certain amount of charisma, and uh, people are just drawn to him. He's maybe not the most exciting fighter, but that Lee Wood fight sure as heck was an exciting fight. Well, let's see what happens in this one where, again, he's heavily favored. He's plus 300 to get a knockout. Uh, interesting that Mariaga is plus 900 to get a knockout if you were to take a flyer on that. That sounds like a segue to come find us on the Bet US Boxing Show to see what we're predicting Friday afternoons, 1 Eastern Time Live uh, to be with us on Bet US TV, their platforms, and also their YouTube channel. We'll be going over the odds and the picks. Why don't you? Etc. Why don't you tell the peeps what my record was last week? Uh, I believe you were three and two last week. Very nice. I don't want to. I thought talk it was better. I thought it was four and one. Um, were you four no. and one or three and two? I got to go back and look. I thought you it was four and one. Other. We'll double. We'll double okay. check that. You might have been four and one. I know I was one and three uh, because Adam Kovnatsky didn't get the KO and didn't get it in the under like I thought it would be. Uh, but we both uh, were successful. We had another uh, knockout together. I think uh, that night that on the Gary, other part, Gary, Antoine, Gary, Russell's Gary Antoine Russell's knockout. You're still bitter that it happened in the under, though. Oh, you know what? I think I was. I think I didn't get that one because the referee robbed us of the over. <laughs> the robbed over was us six of the and over. a half, and he was stopped just before the halfway mark of the sixth round. Um, fix, uh, fix, fix. Yes, I know. But uh, hey, in any event, Bet US, one o'clock Eastern time, live Friday. You can obviously see it later. Bet US platforms, their YouTube channel will make some predictions on the record. We're still Check rolling. Us out. We'll make you some money. Hey, we are still rolling on the show because you hit three more. You're about plus eight right now on the correct predict predictions. And I'm like plus six or seven right now. So we're, we're doing well. We're doing well on the BetUS show. Come find us. And we're glad that you found us on this show as well. Looking forward to the action. Again, we don't have championship fights. We don't have the circus of the Jake Paul Rockman fight. But this is going to be intrigue on how quickly can Ortiz off the layoff and the blood disorder get a knockout if he gets it. And what happens earlier in the day with Conlon in front of the home fans? Does Mariaga have something for him? And I think he might. The over-under is eight and a half rounds on that fight. I'm kind of looking at that over under because i don't know that this is a quick conlon win just one more time so i'm intrigued on well Saturday. michael conlon i mean if you followed his career uh he's never a guy that's been in these quick knockout kind of fights michael conlon is a very good boxer um 
but has never really been uh, a big guy that's knocking you out early. I mean, you know, a couple of fights early in his career when you're fighting very low-level opponents, even the guys in his debuts and stuff, they're going three, four rounds. Um, you know, Michael's more of a, of a consummate boxer. You know, if I'm not mistaken, he's got 16 wins, only eight knockouts, so 50% knockout percentage. Uh, not the highest in terms of guys who are top contenders. His That's fights correct. generally go rounds. So I suspected the fight with Mariaga was going to go rounds also. So his previous two fights were decision wins. And then before that, it was a 10th round knockout of, hopefully I don't butcher this too bad, Sofane Tauche. Is that, is that close? The French fighter that, that he fought? Correct. Something like that. It was a 10th round TKO. Uh, in fact, you go back before that one, two, three, four other fights, five other fights that have gone to the ninth round for a TKO or the distance. So he's not, that's why that eight and a half is tantalizing on the over under for Conlon here. He's not a guy that well, necessarily. I, I'm not going to, I won't up. say it on the podcast. I'll let people wait and watch and we'll save the particulars for our mm -hmm. betting show. I'm very confident in the, in the way this one goes. All right. I'll just now leave that to you. I know, now find I know, out I know what's happening in this fight. All right. Find that out on BetUS. For now, we are good on this podcast. Again, make it a point to follow or subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, etc. cetera. Uh, listen, thank you as always for the insight here, Dan Rayfield. I appreciate your time on this. Look forward to recapping the weekend on Fight Freaks Unite. Whatever happens here with the Ortiz fight, the Conlon fight, and those two cards in Fort Worth and Belfast. Great stuff as always, my friend. Have a great weekend. Appreciate it. You too, TJ. And we thank you for listening and finding us as well. Again, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Send a screenshot. Tag Dan. Tag, tag Big Fight Weekend. We'll see that. We've got another giveaway coming in August. And uh, congratulations again to Edry, if I have that right. Edry Arietta, who won the Haney Cambosis fight poster for doing just that. Rating and reviewing us and letting us see that. We drew that at random. Congrats. For now, we are good. Thank you for being with us on the Big Fight Weekend podcast. Bye. These days, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make all kinds of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs in towns and cities across the country. And jobs bring pride. Purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20.